Blog Talk Radio.
afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, on this uh, really beautiful Friday afternoon. Uh, I want to welcome you today while we do like a little broadcast in honor of the upcoming Mother's Day coming this Sunday. And we wanted to discuss how mothers and daughters have a relationship that's so very important and how they ought to be able to continue to protect and support each other throughout their lifetime of their relationship. And we have a guest on today, Nancy Sellers, who is an author of a book, uh, Bondage to Freedom, as well as uh, several other publications. She's going to be in on the show to discuss some experiences that she's had and how she also feels how important that relationship is between a mother and a daughter. And we just recently heard uh, Miss Independent from Neo, which to me is uh, one of the songs that will certainly reflect the power and independence of a woman and how that woman can move the world by the actions that she takes. So if you feel that you don't have that power to be able to do those things, to take charge, to take over your own life, to be successful, to help others, to take care of your children's needs, then there are so many other resources out there to help you get to that point. We'll also discuss those things as well. I want to go ahead and bring on um, Nancy Sellers and um, let her take over for a little while because she has a lot to tell us. Nancy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ravinda. I, I appreciate it. Um, I always enjoy working with people who are truly looking out for not just my best interest but the people that are listening to me. Um, I just want to basically just give a summary of my book. My book, Bondage to Freedom, is basically a book that I wrote to empower the youth, the teenagers, male and female, not just the abused, but the abuser, because there's times when everybody looks at just the women, but it's for the men, too, because it takes two to tango. Um, I was a teenage mom when I was 14, and I just went down the wrong path looking for love, um, needing my father, not having my mom to give me the guidance that I desired, no one either not knowing or chose not to tell me what I needed to do to travel along that path. And I had two parents. It wasn't that I didn't live in a bad home as far as um, the parent-wise situation. I had two parents, but the I believe the ingenuity of parenthood to just give me what I thought, you know, would get me down that road to say, okay, don't go here, don't go there, nope, detour here, detour there, just wasn't there. So the relationship that I truly desired from my father wasn't there. My mom and I were very close, but I felt like she didn't fight enough for me. Um, She didn't fight enough for the freedom, not even just as a woman, but as her children. And then I went down the wrong path, so the book basically just depicts all the things that I went through, the things that I've you know, going through trying to find that approval factor in my life. And the book basically is it's a self-help, although it's, you know, some sad, some happy, some funny, some whatever um, in the book. But it's about the change that's in need. It's about the change that we need to give to our young people to let them know that they don't have to go down this road. You know, I talked about something on another show where, when you have to watch how your kids are behaving, you have to pay attention, you got to ask questions, you have to find out what these kids are thinking about, what's on their mind from day to day in order to know what they're getting into. And no one gave me that chance. No one, you know, took the time to say, Nancy, 
what are you thinking about? What do you want to be when you grow up? Everybody was just too busy telling me what I wasn't going to do, what I'm not going to be, and you're just a kid, stay in the kid's place. And that's not how we're supposed to treat our children. I try to get in my kid's life as much as possible. I tried, I have four daughters, so I am truly, truly um, trying to be there to hear what I need to hear in my kids' lives. If they start acting funny, don't want to eat, don't want to this, don't want to that, i got to find out what's going on with them. I question my kids. I, I encourage them. I um, educate them on sex at an early age so they, they don't get sidetracked with men or boys who are trying to touch them and get away with stuff. And um, I just need to just really reiterate that we have to care um, about what these kids are thinking so they don't go down the wrong road. I mean, not all kids are going to necessarily do the right thing when you're doing that, but nine times out of ten there will be somebody who's going to get the message, and that's basically the point. And I am truly, truly just wanting someone to read this book because there are so many people who don't, who who want that person to understand what they're going through and don't have it. And I truly do because if you read the book, trust me, you will definitely, definitely um, get a feel in the the road that I've gone down that so many people have gone down and haven't told anybody, these teenagers, even as adults, um, the women and men have gone through, done things, uh, no one there to listen, no one there to understand, no one there to tell they could trust. But truly I feel that the change is there in my life, you know, through Jesus Christ and just the willingness to see myself better than just to be laying down with some man knowing that I got all this potential for things to happen in my life and I let what I truly wanted uh, be a, a crutch to almost stop me and cripple me from doing the things that I want to do in life, the things that I'm capable of doing. I'm so much more than just a bad buddy. And I feel and plan on doing something about the change. I'm not going to be another person sitting around talking about people or talking to people about anything. I'm a doer. And truly, um, procrastination has been a milestone in my life where um, I thought about it. Someone said, nope, you can't do it. So I didn't do it. But now it's not like that. Now I'm to the point that you can't tell me what I can't do. I'm going to do above and beyond more than you think that I can do. And my job is to get my message of change out there, and that is what I plan to do to encourage the parents, mothers, and fathers to establish a decent relationship. Don't allow your children to be fearful to come to you because that's what happened with my life. You know, I was scared to go to my parents about certain things because they wouldn't just they wouldn't believe what I had to say. They wouldn't believe the things that happened to me. They wouldn't believe or they wouldn't even give me what I'm looking for. So I decided that my children, I don't want my kids to be afraid to speak to me. I don't want my kids to be afraid of anything. And as parents, you have to respond in a decency and orderly fashion so that your kids don't say, oh, my God, I'll never come to them again about this. And and when when your child tells you something, please believe them. Please believe that. Investigate. Don't just think that this is something they just made up. If you have known your child and your child just comes out of the blue with something, you've never heard it before, nine times out of ten, something's up. 
And it is your responsibility. Parents have to be accountable for what their kids are going through. Search their rooms. Do there's no when your child is underage. There's no privacy. That's your house. You pay the bills in that house. There is nobody gonna tell me they can't come in my. That's not your room. You live here. It's my house. My room. I found so many things going through my older daughter's room when she was younger, and you know these kids think they're so grown and thick and think that we don't know the lingo or the slang that they talk about or try to hide words and say certain things and do certain stuff. But truly, um, just communication is the key to everything in every relationship. You have to talk about what's going on. There are real-life issues, real-life problems, things that people are trying to push under the rug. And no, it is time to get free. It is time to be set free. It is time for us to live and stop holding on to these things that have taken us um, into bondage. So basically that's a summary of what my book is about. There's been so many things that I've gone through, um, childhood molestation, you know, there's almost family incest because the the guys in my family didn't care whether you was a cousin or not, they still wanted to be with you, and I had to be like, "Uh uh-uh. You know, there's certain things that I couldn't help happening, and there's certain things as far as family I wasn't going to allow to happen. But then when you're looking for that love, anything sounds good. So you find yourself subject to being a victim, not realizing it. But I tell everybody now that I'm not in that situation anymore. The rape can't hold me back. The multiple rapes can't hold me back. The domestic violence can't hold me back. Me being a teenage mom at that one time in my life can't hold me back. Having multiple children out of wedlock can't hold me back. And nothing that I've done is excusable, but it's also not something that can hold me back because I don't do it anymore. I'm not what I used to be. I'm beyond that. And I let everything that I'm capable of doing to influence a positive vibe, a positive audience, seeing that there's been a change in my life. So if there's been a change in my life, nine times out of ten, there'll be a change in your life, too. So, Ravinda, you can that, take it from here. That was a really, really interesting thing that you focused on when you wrote your book um, because it is something that happens. It is something that is part of reality, and there should be a wake-up call for all parents and all people to be aware of things going on with their children because of the different things that are happening right now, you know, with abuse and assault and abductions. There's a lot of things happening to a lot of children, and, you know, it's important that we focus on protecting our children and, and being aware of their surroundings as well as our own. So now when you when you um, had those experiences in life, what type of support were you looking for that we can try to, you know, compared to what is available now to other people? I, I, I wanted I wanted the love. I wanted my parents' love. I wanted someone to just listen to me. I wanted someone to care more about me and take the time to say, you know, you don't have to do this. You don't have to sleep with all these men. You don't have to do all this. You know, what else do you know how to do? What else do you do? You know, everywhere I went, even when I was in school, when I had to drop out of regular school, went to another school, there was still guys in there, older gentlemen, that just, you know, basically made it look like they were trying to befriend me with a motive. And because I was naive at the time, I'm thinking, okay, they're really trying to be my friend. 
But then they want to sleep with me. And these are my administrators. These are my counselors. These are my so-called teachers, you know, that are, like, supposed to be looking out for my best interest, and they're still trying to get some on the side. And here I am, you know, 18, 19 years old, and I'm thinking, okay, that they really care. But then here I go finding out that they have something else up their sleeve, and I'm like, okay, come on. But it didn't click in because my outside world is saying this is what you do. No one said, well, you shouldn't be doing this. No one said, this doesn't look right. No one said this. No one said that. And then when I even had, I mean, I always had money. I always had clothes. I always had all these different stuff. And nobody bothered saying, well, where are you getting all this stuff from? See, because I questioned my kids, well, anything unusual comes into my house? Who gave it to you? And if I feel it's an excessive amount, if I feel like, okay, now this person is giving you too much stuff, especially if it's a guy, why are you taking all this stuff? And I'll find the person if I feel something's out of place. Please don't give my child anything else. I would appreciate that. Because if I can't give it to him, then you don't need to give it to him. I don't care if it's food, ice cream, whatever. Sometimes people take little kind gestures, you know, and it's something underneath that kind gesture, especially when it's repetitive, especially in a week or two weeks or just out of the blue and do for one and not the other. I got a problem with that. If you ain't doing for all my kids, then why are you doing for just this particular one? So I find that um, what I'm looking for and what I want my kids to have is support from not just the parents, but the school teachers, the people around them, um, their guidance counselors, anyone that can give them a helping hand, not trying to take advantage of what they're out there doing. And that's the way that you're supposed to be because if you don't provide that type of support to your children, then somebody else is going to step in and find that advantage over them, and that's where you start having problems. When someone else is trying to gain the trust of your children, and that makes those children vulnerable to all the negative you know, um, uh, intentions that that person may have. It's been happening a lot and and even in the most professional of atmospheres that we think our children are safe in, there's a lot of things going on that we, we need to open our eyes and be aware of it. It can happen to anybody. It's, it's not, you know, something that's only uh, preference to certain kids and maybe disadvantaged communities or, you know, children who are wealthy who are always preyed upon anyway. And it can happen to anybody. It's because somebody out there is weak-minded and, you know, they have some type of hatred towards children, so they try to bring that onto that child because most of the time their hatred is not always just to children but to the fact that that child has parents that care about them. So, you know, you have these people out here, these abusers, that are, are jealous of not having that and they want to take it out on the children to hurt those parents because they can't hurt their own parents anymore. So, you know, a lot of those things are happening to um, younger children, older children now, even grown women are being, you know, attacked and abused. And there's so much that we have to, you know, do still. Even with our new, you know, uh, rules and new organizations that are providing support for women, a lot of times the thing you must do is recognize that you need to help or you need to support 
And if it's somebody you know that needs that, you should be also stepping in to help that person. I have Nashiba of eSpirit on the line who's going to join us in this conversation. Welcome, Nashiba. Oh, hello. Thank you for having me on. I was actually just listening because listening to Nancy is just is so inspiring. You, <laughs> Thank you, you. Thank you. You really are. You, you're. I almost don't even have words. You see, I can't even talk. And, and <laughs> Ravinda knows I can run off at the mouth. <laughs> because your story is so compelling and so inspiring to go through such trials and tribulations and then still come out with the light shining so bright within you to share with the world. So it's an honor. It's a blessing. Oh, thank you so much. I always see you when I'm on uh, Jerry's show, too. And I always, when I see the little dove, that's what it is. got to fly away. When I see yes. the, little, the birds and your little logo, and I, I love it because even when I was on I See Color and I happened to see it, and then when I was on, um, I said, I wonder who this is. Let me click on here. And you know what? I, I just, man, you know how you could always see yourself dreaming. You know how the birds are always flying and they're not mm-hmm. caring about nothing because they know nothing can get them unless it's another bird or something bigger mm-hmm. than them. And that's how life is for me. That's how I thought like when I was a kid. I always dreamed beyond, not just my moment right then and there. I always saw myself more. Like I knew my wedding was planned when I was 10. I knew I was having two girls. <laughs> I knew that. You know what I'm saying? I had all this yeah. stuff already planned out and then when the twist came I was like, okay, all those dreams went out the door. It felt like, oh, my God, now that I'm in this mess and in all the years of trying to find that one, is there ever going to be someone to love me? Is there ever going to be that somebody who cares enough? And you know what? It took a long time after mm-hmm. I finally said, okay, you're not in control anymore. I let God be in control because now every time I stuck my hands in it, it got sticky, yeah. you know. So I decided to ease up, let God do it. And I'm free to be my bird again because now I can fly, but yet God is, you know, my wings as well because now I have a chance to make up for the lost time that I got a, you know, chance to do the things that I always want. And I always wanted to just, I saw myself always in front of a bunch of people. And, you know, although I was shy, you know, I I Mm -hmm. saw myself saying, wow, I want to do this, I want to do that, I see myself as this. Well, then my mindset started to change. Well, why can't you? It ain't too late. You can be a millionaire. You can be wealthy. You can be rich. You can be an author. And then when it didn't even sink until the second book came in the mail. And then when the third book was like the proofreading of the third book and my husband was like, get a grip, girl, you're an author. And I'm like, yeah, I am. <laughs> so I, I'm just, and I'm happy that I have an audience. I'm happy to even help Ravinda. I'm, I'm, I just, like, I'm just excited where my life is going. Because I don't want to just be myself and say my life, I'm my kids' life, people who listen to me, people who, who truly can get to understand where I come from, um, establishing relationships with your children if you have any. Just the, I'm learning so much as a parent that, my God, when, my, when I was little, why no one did this for me? But now that I have an opportunity, I can't worry about who didn't do it for me. Exactly. Because my life was destined to be a certain kind of way. And if I had to go through all this to make a difference, then guess what? I did it. I'm above water. I'm not drowning anymore. And here I am, bondage to freedom. Amen. <laughs> right. 
that's a really good acclamation for yourself too because mm-hmm. if you don't realize that you are overcoming some some hurdles in your life, you're going to keep on falling back into it. A lot of people, they just don't feel confident enough that it can actually happen for them and that it is actually happening. You know, sometimes you can't even see the light when it's there right in front of you. And uh, what I like to um, talk about is, since we were focusing on a lot of things that are happening to children, you know, young girls, um, I was a, a foster care agency life skills tutor for about three years, um, sometime back for a company, a private company that took care of uh, the needs of foster children in the private uh, sector. They didn't work with the state. Um, they did as far as regulations and 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 recommendations and things like that and, and you know, uh, processing applications for the foster parents, but they had their own ways of going out there to, to service these children and is a corporation, so it's really supposed to be for the children, but it actually, to me, was about the money and about the business. So the children were more or less a commodity to the business, you know, almost like they were selling cars or something. So I worked there for three years, and my job was to work with the teenagers who were in the process of being transitioned out of the program and um, were going to be put back into the community as independent adults. And hopefully they have learned from their foster parents and the uh, clinicians that were servicing them how to live on their own so that they don't have to go through a lot of issues that they would have if they had to continue to stay with their families who were abusing them or, or neglecting them. So in my opinion, they did not, you know, complete this this goal with many of those children because many of those children were in homes of people who professed to be loving, caring foster parents, but they were really interested in the money because it pays well, and they do have regulations. They ask you to stay home, and they ask you to, you know, be available 24-7 for that child. But a lot of those parents, they didn't stay home. They worked outside of the home. They left the kids in other people's care who were not registered, and they would just go and make the money, and then they would have two or three children in their homes bringing in about $5,000 a month just to take care of these kids. So my job was to go there and just observe the care that these children were getting when it came to, you know, social um, services as far as, uh, you know, if they were being taught how to find jobs or live on their own, pay bills, be responsible, things like that. I didn't see that that was happening a lot with those children, and so I had to put more into my work than I was supposed to do, which was not a problem since I was there for those kids anyway. But I just wanted to speak on the fact that a lot of these foster care agencies are not supportive for the children as they should be. I've come across a lot of children who were still continuing to be abused through the foster parents. And, of course, they get reported and they get, you know, removed, but that child is still dealing with that that issue. And um, they mostly came from parents who abused them or parents whose friends and, and family members abused them, and they're still going through that. So this is my what my my question is out there to you and the audience. How do you feel you could step in to support either the parents of these children before they go to foster care or 
the children once they're in foster care or the agencies that are taking on this responsibility to, to monitor and, and care for these children. What kind of ways do you think we can step in to do to support these things and change what's happening with our kids? I believe, being that I want to open up a, a, a women's center, and even though it's a women's center, a lot of these women are going to be young, um, teenage, young adults, because there's babies just having babies. Um I, I want to do a survey. I, I think, and I'm thinking maybe that there could be a way if we could, like, I know eventually I'm going to do it. Um, if I could pass around, like, I'm going to make up a a survey and prayerfully get a response. So I'm going to go around my city um, and prayerfully go to other cities that are close, you know, and start giving out these uh, surveys and asking them to submit anonymously um, back to me to find out um, how many people they know, how many people or if themselves have been in foster care, you know, or even awarded to someone in their family to find out what happened in that family that they got awarded, to find out what the parents did. Because as a matter of fact, my daughter's um, sister by her dad lost custody of her son and he's, he was awarded to the state and is in foster care. And when I look at her life, being that she's a young teenage girl, pregnant again, but then that's the part that bugs me is that you're pregnant again, but you wouldn't even fight for your first child. You know what I'm saying? It's like why are these parents fighting for them? Why aren't these parents seeing that there's an issue, that there's something that they can help, you know, do to keep their kids or keep someone else's kid, you know, from going into the system. You know, I pray that, thank God, I, I knock on wood that I'm not a grandmother at an early age and that I got my oldest child to 21 without any kids. And I pray that my other three follow right behind her. As a matter of fact, I decree it because um, as long as I can help it, I always say as long as God gave me breath in my life that I can see what they're doing, they're not going to have no kids out of wedlock because, the survey will depict, and nine times out of ten, I'm going to guarantee that the answers are going to be the same to a lot of them. There's going to be that one particular reason why these children weren't, you know, it's either because the mother decided that she didn't want to take care of no more kids, you know, it could be for illness or her own reasons, because now that grandmothers are young, they're still trying to live their life, and nine times out of ten, they're single got their own man, they ain't thinking about no grandkids. So it's like, okay, what do we do? But what did you do to encourage your child not to do it? You basically allowed that child to go into foster care because of your own personal gain. I don't think that's right either. So that's right. Well, I think part of the problem is, because I always tend to go to spirituality and generational issues, and sometimes some of this stuff is coming from generational issues Absolutely. and not a full and complete awareness of the importance of spirituality. And if you sometimes go back even just one generation, you tend to find a pattern and a theme. And if, if in any given generation, for any of us, that if one particular generation doesn't identify the pattern, it will continue. We're blessed when we reach a generation that says, aha, 
and then they go back and look back and they determine the pattern and then they make the decision to change the pattern moving forward. And I kind of think that's where a root of the, the lot, a lot of problems come from. And one of the reasons it, it kind of makes me feel this is just life's observations. And one of the examples I'd probably like to pull out of my hat is I've spoken to a lot of young men that have been in and out of prison, consistently in and out of prison. And the most common theme with all of them is their father's currently in prison, the grandfather's in prison, and if you kind of follow it all over the chain backwards, that's the pattern. Absolutely. I've, read, I've been uh, lucky in a couple of situations where the gentleman that I'm talking to realizes, too, this is not what I want for my life. And they have taken a sense of determination that is so strong that you can feel the fire of passion within that they, they say to themselves, I will not allow this pattern to move forward. And in that same step that they take with that, generally spirituality is in partnership with someone who comes into the light in a given generation to break the pattern. So if you have children going in the, into foster care sometimes, when you look back unequivocally, in most cases, you're going to find a pattern, a pattern of not really knowing how to love because the prior generation didn't know how to love. The prior generation right. didn't know how to hug, didn't know how to kiss, didn't know how to inspire, didn't really maybe have an education. And when you begin to examine it, that's where the root becomes. So sometimes the, the, job, the job of the current generation doesn't always just rest with the child, but clearly it rests with that parent from the current generation to help them break the pattern so all of the children that they have, hopefully they can help in their healing process to move forward. Absolutely, I agree. It's that is correct. A lot of it is generational. It is. It is. And we're talking generational. We have a caller calling in. Um, they have some input as well to join our conversation. And uh, caller number three in area code 985, can I have your name? Yes, my name is Taylor Michael, 18 years old from the world. Hi, Taylor. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, I... Uh, I saw your your topic as I was uh, going across, and I just jumped in on the uh, on the uh, blog talk radio thing. Um, I do a uh, spoken word, and there's these these two aren't mine, but there's you know you can pick one or whatever, unless you want to hear both, which I doubt. And they're um, by famous poets, but not ones that you've heard. Like they've been on like Def Jam poetry and stuff. And one addresses the relationship between fathers and uh, sons, and um, you know, when they're in prison and stuff, which is something that you just brought up. And the other one is, you know, a mother and son relationship. And every time that I perform either one of them, you know, anyone who, who thinks their relationship, you know, it makes people aware of their relationship with their mothers. Like the mother one, you know, I've had people call their mothers after I perform it and, you know, you know tell them that they love them and, and things like that. So it really strengthens um, the awareness of, of, of your relationship and, and what you need to be doing about it kind of thing. So if, if you wanted to hear one, you know, um, I don't know how the protocol is in your show and everything, but uh, I'd be happy to do one. So. Well, we certainly welcome, you know, that, that talent because, you know, we always support that. And you can go right ahead. And how about you start with the one in regards to the topic for mothers and then follow up with the one for fathers and sons. Okay. This, is, uh, this, is, this one's called Move, Pen, Move. Stay. That's what mothers say when their sons and daughters go away. They say stay. My mother said go. 
So I wasn't there the night she fell out of her wheelchair, so frustrated that she amputated her own legs, or rather tried to, with the steak knife. Her life leaking out onto the white floor, blossoming like roses in the snow. Our conversations were anthems composed of words like, gotta go. And so we went. And sent our regards on postcards from other places we'd been, talked of all the things that we'd seen. That's how it was with you and I. Why say goodbye when we could still write? But then it took your hands. You should have practiced our goodbyes. Because then it took your eyes, and I was somewhere in the middle of nowhere watching the sunrise of our stop sign placed on the center line of a highway filled with sudden turns for the worst. Running back home, because I got to play nurse. Got to figure out which pill alleviates which pain. Which part of your brain was being used for a boxing bag as your body became a never-ending game of freeze tag in an empty playground? I was up looking for your limbs and lost and found, and I couldn't set you free. So we just sat there. Our heads bent towards each other like flowers in the small hours while light wandered in like a warning that time is passing and drew right along with it bit by bit every day. And all I could say is I wish I could write you some way out of this but my gift is useless and you said no. Write me a poem to make me happy. So I wrote move, pen, move. Write me a bedroom where tears make love to our cancer. But my mother just motioned to a bottle full of answers and says, help me go. And now I know something of how a piano must feel when it looks at the fireplace to see sheet music being used for kindling, smoke signaling the end of some song that I thought it would take too long to learn. So I sit there watching you burn away. All the notes I never had a chance to play to hear the music of what you had to say. I could hook up my heart to your ears and let my tears be your morphine drip because maybe it's easier to let you slip away than it is to say goodbye. And in the countdown to death, I hold my breath. Because the question of why melts into when. How much time do I have left? Because if I knew what I know now, then move and move, write me a mountain. Because the headstones aren't big enough. And my mother looks at me and says, Stop it. Write me a poem to make me happy. So I write this. Day. She says, Gotta go. I know. Goodbye. And that's move, pen, move. That was nice. Hello? That was really nice. Thank you. Um, do you want me to just do the, the one about the fathers now? or it's, The fathers one's completely different, too. It's about um, his fathers in prison and stuff like that. It's um, more like what you were just talking about a minute ago. Hello? Hello? I'm here. I'm oh, yes, we're oh. here. We're here. Oh, okay. So you want me to just jump into that one? Yes, you can go ahead and go into that one. And okay. the title again of this one? This one is called um, Knock Knock. Knock Knock. By uh, Daniel Beasley. My father and I used to play a game. We played it every morning till it was three. He would knock knock on my door and I would pretend to be asleep till he got right next to the bed. Then I would jump into his arms. He would tell me that he loved me. Morning, Papa. Into the day when the knock never came and my mother took me on a long ride past cornfields and everything highway to a place of high, rusty gates. A confused little boy entered the room surrounded by black cages and black faces. I ran toward my father's only to be confronted by this window. I knocked, knocked, trying to break through the glass. I knocked, knocked, trying to get to my father. My mother pulled me away before my father could even say a word. And to this day, he is still not said a word. 
And so 25 years later, a young boy tries to heal and tries to father himself. And so I write the words my father did not. Son, I'm sorry I never came home. For every lesson I failed to teach, hear these words. Shave in one direction with strong, deliberate strokes to avoid irritation. Dribble the page of the brilliance of your ballpoint pen. Walk like a god and your goddess will come to you. No longer will I be there to knock on your door. You must learn to knock for yourself. Knock, knock on doors of racism and poverty that I cannot. Knock, knock for the lost cylinders of men who crowd these cells. Knock, knock for me, for as long as you are free, these prison gates cannot contain my spirit. The best of me still lives in you. And yes, we are our father's sons and daughters, but we are not their choices. And despite their absences, we are still here, still alive, with the power to change this world, one little boy and girl at a time. Knock, knock, who's there? We are. That's not nice. That's nice too. That's powerful. <laughs> and your name again is? Taylor Michael is my name. I'm going to give you as my email address because I'd like to follow up with you and have you on my show on for Wednesday, my one of my Wednesday shows. Okay. Um, do you want my? Are you giving me yours? Okay. Yes. Uh huh. E Spirit E at E Spirit E dot net. Wait. E S P I R I T and then uh-huh. the word spirit with with E on either side. Okay. Mhm. And then at at um e spirit e dot net. So e spirit e at e spirit e dot net. Okay. Thanks. Thank you for blessing us with your words. Oh no no problem. Thank you. And Nancy, I'm also going to want you on the show, too. Okay, no problem. <laughs> We're going to put you on blast. <laughs> I know, right? Matter of fact, let me write it down right now. E-spirit-e at uh-huh. Yeah, because my company name is Essential Spirit Enterprises. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the Dove's are representative of the Holy Spirit. And also, um, like if you ever go on my, my primary website, uh, which is www.espirite.net, you'll see two sides. One is reflective of the strength of an eagle. And it's actually an eagle. And the other side is, a side is very tranquil and very peaceful. See, I knew I liked you. <laughs> <laughs> and Mingle and I are about spreading the word and blasting people. So. Oh, I know that's right. It's all Mingle one. is it's my all. girl, let me tell you. She, when, she, she, when I first met her, she's like, be on my show. I'm like. Dang, already? You don't even know me. She said, well, I don't need to know you. I'm like, all right. So when I did uh-huh. you know, I was like, well, you go. But you know what? Let me, um, the book, let me uh, give a sure. shout out because I want to um, let people know where they can get the book at. Um, yes, please do. I encourage people to buy online. So anybody listening, it's safe. It's my distributor's website. Um, you can go to my website. The link is there. My email is there. I love to talk. If there's anybody who wants to talk, if you don't know any, if you know someone who's afraid to talk about their problems, I'm here. I'm reachable. I'm not one of those people that, you know, now that I'm getting all the fame and everything, thinking I'm too good to talk to you. That's not the case. <laughs> I'm very reachable. Um, my website is www.bondagetofreedom.com. Mm-hmm just the way it sounds, bondagetofreedom.com. And the links for the books, you can see my upcoming books that are coming out. Mm -hmm. Um, I have two that are already out, one that's going through the editing stage, my fourth one I'm just about done with, and I just have a list of books. My books go in chronological order to the things that are happening in my life. So now that I'm free, 
then it's time to forgive. Then it talks yeah. about the woman who behaved like men, and then now someone in my life special, so created just for me, is the perfect book for women who feel Ravenda, that she desires a mate, but God has somebody created just for you. Exactly. When you're not looking, they just kind of pop around into your Absolutely. face. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't believe in the looking thing. Yeah, because that's what happened. I look for love, and mm-hmm. all this nonsense happened, trying to hold on to something I don't need to have. And I'm really glad that you're presenting that message very strongly because I've met a lot of single women that almost make it a career and build up dossiers on the right place to be looking and searching. And I I find just like when you lose your keys and you sit down in a quiet place somewhere, all of a sudden the keys happen to mysteriously uh, be sitting right beside you. (laughs) (laughs) That's the truth. So you are blessed. You're very blessed to have the husband that, that you have that's been so highly supportive. Or that you leave all of that from within. When when I met him, I was in a in a place in my life I didn't want to be bothered with no more men. I was fed up. I was we just was we were friends. We met as friends, we worked together and then eight months later we were husband and wife because he was my friend first. And mm-hmm. that's what a lot of the problem is that parents we don't have a I don't have a problem being a parent. But I want my kids to be friends with me too. I want them to be close enough to talk to me about the problems, so they don't end up. <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> they don't end up like I did. Right. You know, when the, when the parents become overbearing and um, underbearing, not bearing mm-hmm. enough. You know, mm-hmm. they tend to allow their kids to do whatever they want, not paying attention that they're doing this for a reason. And then when my parents caught on to the fact that I'm behaving a certain kind of way skipping school, doing all kinds of stuff, it was too late. I was pregnant already, mm-hmm. you know, because nobody paid attention. Nobody, you know, asked, okay, what's going on? I'm like, all right, hello, I, I'm trying to find somebody to, you know, talk to me. You know, don't shut me out because I'm a girl. You know, you give the mm-hmm. advice to the boys, don't give advice to me. That's not fair. I'm, you know, you. if anything, the girls need it more than the boys do. Oh, yeah. Well, sometimes the boys tend to get the right of passage conversation and the yeah. girls get the neener, yeah. neener conversation. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's what happened. I was always <laughs> shut out. Like, even with my mom, it's like when I felt like I could come to her and talk to her, it was almost like, well, are you sure? Did this really happen? Or, like, when, when you go, when I went to her, like, because the topic is mothers and daughters, mm-hmm. I, right. <laughs> Just like Ravinda was saying, she said that they do things for a paycheck. Grandparents nowadays aren't like the grandparents back in the old days. See, when I was little, we lived at our grandparents' house. Even though we had our own home, parents said, okay, you go in the grandma's house, see you, and I get back. Now, mm-hmm. and then the, the grandparents didn't mind being grandparents. I can't tell you when my mom comes to get my kids. I can't tell you when the last time she said, I'm coming to get the girls, get them packed up, I'll see you in a, in a couple of days or something like that, or a couple of hours. My kids don't get that. And I feel it's so unfair that when, when she was watching my kids, she was getting the money for the kids. I saw her every day. And now that my kids are not in child care because I quit my job, I do not participate in the recession. I say that all the time, that... When I'm home now, something just told me, you know what, your kids are getting out of hand. It's time for you to be home with them. And now that they're more under control, because I'm here and they're in a controlled environment, I can see what they're doing. I can see what's going on. I can see why they're behaving a certain kind of way. I can't tell you when the last time my mom picked them up just to pick them up. 
you know, and, and I feel wow. that it's not right because if the when I'm I'm welcoming grandparenthood, but just another fifteen twenty years later, you know. <laughs> but when it happens, right? I want to be a grandma. I don't want my grandbaby for the money. I don't want my grandbaby for what I can get out of it because I don't want no one feeling like they just use me for whatever. And because they're kids, they don't understand. They don't know that's what happened. But I know because I'm the one, you know, who did this. And when the kids stopped going to daycare and she stopped getting that check, she don't even come over no more. I'm like, come on. Mm. And I love her. I love both my parents. I just don't like the way I've been treated. I don't like the way you treat my kids, you know, that you have to get permission for the grandkids to come over. Since when? Y'all... Bummed us off on our grandparents like it was nobody's business when we were kids. We saw more of them than we saw more of you. Wow. And it's not like that. But you know what? It was was still fortunate to still be in the same family unit because some kids don't have that that fortune. They go to complete strangers. That's true. And that that has to be more traumatic than just somebody you already know. Even if you don't like your grandma, um, that a stranger has lots of other relatives. You don't know any of those people. And can you imagine a, a, a little child, especially those those younger kids who, you know, probably had family reunions and Thanksgiving dinners and everything with people they know, now they're with these complete strangers and they don't know what to do. And they don't feel safe. They don't feel protected. There's nothing out there telling them that, you know, these people won't hurt them. And they don't feel familiar with them, so they can't feel that that security, you know. So I can imagine those kids what they feel, as opposed to you know what somebody who's just with that aunt they can't stand, or you know the uncle they can't stand, or whatever, you know, or or somebody else that they see all the time. We do have a, a caller who wants to to talk, join our discussion and um, okay. share some information with us. So. Uh, I'm going to bring the caller in. Caller on area code 912. Can we have your name? Yes, ma'am. This is Cece. <laughs> Why y'all Hi, Cece. And hey. How would you like to share some information with us? Oh, no, I didn't want to share. I was just listening in. Okay. Well, can you join in on the chat room? Do you have Internet access? Oh, yes, ma'am, I do. Well, try joining in on the chat room, um, and you can just go to that at www.blogtalkradio.com and forward slash in capital letters, mingle-zone-network. And yes. um, you can voice your opinions and um, listen to us through that, too. Okay. Okay. Okay, and thanks for joining the conversation. All right, ladies, I'm going to put on a song that I, I always thought was something that really reflected on the relationship that, you know, we had with um, our mothers. And, you know, a, a group called Boys and Men came up with this song, and I believe it was played, I'm not sure if it was first played on the movie Soul Food, but that's where you would remember it from. So we take a short break and listen to that song, and I'll come back. I had to add a few more minutes to the show because I think we're going to go a little longer than an hour. Okay, no problem. <laughs> Thank you. 
Ooh, to 
I love that song, and I love oh, yeah. women, and they always had those heartfelt songs. And speaking of moms, I have my mom coming in on the line. Uh, she's been in foster care for well over 20 years, and she she has a lot of experience in that, so she's going to share some things with us. Mom, you on the line? Yes, I am. Hi, Mom. Hi, <laughs> hi ladies, how's everybody? Hi, daughter. Good. Hi. <laughs> Uh, I'm having trouble with this computer here. I'm not real computer literate, and I'm, I got lost here for about 15 minutes of the show. So I'm, I'm not totally up to snuff on what you guys were talking about as far as uh, children and things of that nature. But the young lady, Miss Sellers, I can relate to her past. It was almost like she... She was looking in a crystal ball, telling me about my own past, you know. Wow. I'm serious, and it brought tears to my eyes, and I I was overwhelmed where I couldn't speak, so it took me a while to regroup myself so I could talk. But uh, I, I, I won't get into that right now because I've never shared that with my own daughters. So I wouldn't want them to be want them to hear it first off on a radio show. You know, I would want them to hear it from me personally. That's but okay. uh, we could talk you know, about for, that. Hmm. Well, we if you feel more comfortable, how about we talk about your experience in foster care? Because yeah, that's uh, a what lot I was of, about what, to do. Yeah, well, a lot of things yeah. that we were talking about that had to. You know that you brought you to wanting to do something for kids that was not available to you. So, can you tell us about that? Well, I, I started out, you know, uh, wanting, believe it or not, to go to school for law, law school. That's what I was going for. Me and my uh, best friend, and I kept getting shifted over to. Special ed and children, and av- you know, being an advocate and things of that nature. These are the things that I kept getting into. But um, wait, wait a minute. Let me try to get this thing turned down. But anyway, um. I found myself getting involved with children because my nephew had a girlfriend that was being physically and sexually abused by her family. And he asked me would I receive her to protect her. You know, him being her boyfriend wanted to protect her. And then she came to live with me. And then I had some nieces that were subjected to the same type of Abuse when their mother passed, their father decided they should be his concubines and, you know, take their mother's place. So I rescued them, and it started from there. And then I it opened my eyes as to, hey, you know, it didn't happen to you as a kid. It happened to many women and many children, and it's still happening. 
so that's when I decided that, you know, I wanted to advocate and be the voice for those who didn't have a voice for themselves. And I've been doing this for over 30 years. And I, uh, you know, I try to rescue the children. I advocate for the seniors, women that's been in abusive situations with children, trying to get out of situations with their significant other or their husbands. And now I'm putting together a project to save the children that are being victimized by pedophiles and sexual abusers, and they have nobody to go to. So that's what I'm trying to do now. That's great. Hello? That is really wonderful. Oh, I just wanted to make sure we were still connected. (laughs) No, we're here. That's what I'm trying to work on now. Can you tell us about your some of your experiences working as a foster parent for uh, the company that we both work for? You don't have to mention the company's name, but yeah, um, I know. Just, you know, <laughs> tell about um, you know some of the experiences that you had because you were in it before I got involved because you were the one that you know told me about it and got me involved. So, can you tell us about some of your experiences? Well, my experiences is just as you guys were saying, and as you found it to be, most of the foster parents that are involved are only interested in the finances. They they don't really give a hoot about the children, and and that's sad because, first of all, the children are people too, and some of these children, I mean all of those children, you have to look at it like this, they have to put on a farce, they have to put on this face. They have to become this other person to fit into your lifestyle so they could be a part of your life. And that's a very difficult task with the history behind these children and everything that they've encumbered, you know, growing up and coming to the age that they are. I mean, they've already been sexually, physically, mentally abused, and then they have to come into a stranger's home try to be accepted, try to mimic them in their lifestyle, hopefully that they'll be protected by them, which in most cases they are not. They're not even treated as a child, you know, or as a person. They're treated as a paycheck, and they, like, shift them in the corner, and they they don't even uh, bring them together into their homes. And And, I, you know, like, I really fight for the kids for that. And there's a lot of women and men and women out there constantly wanting to be foster parents. The first thing they question is how much do they pay. And I never even give them any more information because I already see where they're going, and that kid don't need any more grief. But a lot of things that's wrong with the system, it's not just foster parents that is about the money. It's the system itself that's about the money. The more children that they keep in bondage, the longer they'll keep jobs. And and that's the real sad part about it. Because the children don't have anyone really to help them unless we could reiterate or we could uh, somehow get their parents back into their lives 
if at all possible, in a way where they would help them to become whole again. You know, because otherwise, if they don't have people like you and I and the few of us out there that care about them just because of who they are, they're they're going to be lost, and they're becoming the men and the women of our future who are victimizing others, uh, bringing crime against them, killing themselves, killing others because of the bitterness and the pain and the hurt that they're all uh, holding, you know, embedded inside them. And and they're suffering daily, and, and they're like time bombs walking around waiting to explode, and we as a people have to do something to help them because I find most of the time... All these children need is just a little love, somebody to say, I'll love you, I'll hold you, I'll protect you, I'll be there when you need someone to talk to, I'll be there to keep you safe, I'll help you make decisions, I'll direct you in the right direction to make the right decisions. And that's really all they really need. But that's difficult for them to to get. It is. Well, it is because um, when foster parents are taking in some children, they already, you know, just been given the the down the the four one one on their past, and then sometimes the agency is at fault for giving that predetermination about that child. Um, they don't go over the complete story right away about why that child might be behaving that way because of, you know, privacy um, issues. But I think it's important that a foster parent know what they're getting into. And I also think it's important that they improve the training that they do for foster parents because they give you case-by-case, you know, uh, training as far as, like, what they've experienced. But they they don't really go into asking them why they really want to do it. You know, do they realize that? They have to put their love and and respect and and care into a person that's not a part of their family, but they have to do it in a point where they make that child feel like a part of their family without taking away the fact that child had a family. Because that's the big mistake they make. It's like they're they're this is your new family. You forget about your old family, and that's one reason why the child is going to be rebellious because. They may have been abused. They may have been mistreated. But if that's all they knew, and that's all, they, and they don't know that they were being mistreated, or you know, they don't understand it, it's, it's feeling to them like they're being snatched away from their parents and what they know and love. Because some, believe it or not, a lot of children that are abused still love those abusers, because that's all they know, <clears throat> and uh, that they were brought up to think that that's the way it's supposed to be, even if they get beat up or abused or whatever's happening to them. You know, the one thing that that a mistake is made every time a foster parent has a child is that they try to change that child's life and what their children are going through. And there's something that needs to be done as far as the way they train to teach parents how to, foster parents, how to develop a certain plan or strategy so that child still feels connected to their own family because they're going to still continue to be visiting and, you know, remembering their family and dealing with the the pain and everything else, so it's not easy to just forget about it, you know. So um, that is just something that that's going on now, and I think they just need to work on changing the way they do things and changing 
the people that they have to take over raising these children in a different lifestyle. I I, I agree. Um, I remember even when, even though my my little one of my little cousins, um, he wasn't in foster home not until he got older, only because uh, my uncle he stayed in prison most of you know his adult life, and I remember my younger cousin, you know. Basically, what the parents do, nine times out of ten, the children are going to do, whether it's good or bad. And I remember my uncle being always, when I say always, that there was times like, we didn't want to go see him because we was afraid because we don't even know who you are anymore because you rather choose to live the life, you know, doing the bad things and being in prison. And then when you get better, you don't know nobody. And then when his son needed him, he chose to say, well, I told him to stay out of trouble, like that's good enough for him. No, you have to be there for him. So now I'm in the process of helping only where I can help now that he's an adult because now he's 33, and his his father was never there. So my grandmother took him in, and then it was he was being bounced back between his mom when his mom was ready to take care of him, back and forth to my grandmother until she passed away, back to his mom, and then from his mom to foster care and then to prison. So then we got all these gaps in our lives where I I remember him. You know, I know he's my cousin. I love him the same because he grew up with us. But he's jacked up now because, you know, the parents and the, you know, the mother whenever she was there, father hardly ever there. Now an adult can't be bothered because now he's talking about what about my life, you know, and then back and forth with the family, and then he ain't seen us in over 20-some years since he was, like, 14, you know. And now it's like you're transitioning back into your own family again because you haven't been around, not not any fault of his own, you know. And it's hard it, for these it, kids to, you know, go through what they go through and basically, you know, have to live that and then no one dare to, under, he's a ticking time bomb it's exactly what she said he, I could hear the anger in his voice when I talked to him and I could feel his pain when he wrote me in, in a letter from prison and I decided mm-hmm. not to be that way, that when the people are in prison they need someone too they all yes. have to pay their dues but the comfort of having the communication is just as important even if you can't do nothing for them, because I make it plain quick look I ain't got no money. I ain't got no packages. I love you the same. If you want me to write, I'll write. And it's hard because you want to do so much, but then you got to think about, well, what was they really doing before they got in trouble? Was they around you then? They want you to help now because they're in trouble, but then that's all they know how to do because that's what they've been taught to do. What are they going to bring into your surrounding family too? Exactly, because it's like I don't want all this drama jumping off trying to help somebody to bring in, you know, where my family's stable. And I've had my licks of trying to be there to help someone, a teenage girl that I knew, um, trying to help her. Mother had no clue what to do with her, so she's like, okay, you have temporary guardianship, and then here I am. And then now the uncle steps in talking about she needs to be home with her mother, and I'm saying, but the mother just told me I could take her, and now you stepping in, and then all this drama. I don't got time for that. I I, I want to help people, but I want to help them to get as much information as possible without having to be involved, per se, my personal life. I want to be exactly. there to help, but I don't want to be there for you to jack up my life too. 
I can't do that. Well, you also so, have to be ready for the help, ready exactly. and receiving for the help. Um, and I've you can that spend a lot of time spinning your wheels trying to help somebody, but if they're not ready to receive it, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's all, all you can do is pray. All you can do is you, pray. You remember, well, I don't know, East Spirit, when you were on um, Jerry's show, the lady that mm-hmm. I think Miss Gloria J when she was on, and mm-hmm. someone had wrote in the chat room and said that every time the bell rings, it's not your fight. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that does not sound like this show. What? That is factual. <laughs> oh, remember that, Mingle? When, when they had the show? I remember. He said, he said, Every time the bell rings, it don't mean it's your fight. And I had to learn that because I'm, I'll, I'll gung ho, I'll jump out there and be like, hey. But you're right, it has to be whether they're willing to receive the help because you just like you're taking a horse to the water, you can't make it drink. Correct. Same thing. And believe me, it took me a while to get there, too. It took me a long time because I'll say yes in a heartbeat. Oh, my heart is bleeding for you. And it takes you a long time to realize that, you know, you can give. And and you hope at some point when they're at that, wherever the bottom is, Mm -hmm. when they hit it and they're ready, that they remember and they have recall of whatever time you shared. But you can exhaust yourself doing it. Oh, absolutely. You got your family in the mix. It can really go there sometimes. And you can get hurt. That, that's what you. I was saying. You can drain you to the point where you're no longer a vessel that can help them. Absolutely. You, you become know. bitter. You become bitter and you become Not necessarily down. bitter. You you are without words or without anything. You mm-hmm. don't have any more to offer them. Absolutely. And that's worse. You know, and and it's like, it's almost like reiterating slavery. Mm-hmm. You know. That's what it's like because our children, we were all, like back in our day, our parents' day, they were separated, snatched away from their families. They, you know, sold off and had to live here and be there, do this and do that, and subjected to all kind of cruelty. And that's the same thing, you know, history's repeating itself with our children. And it's, and it's, and it's so, happening all over again. Yeah, and the thing about yeah. it is that we're supposed to be progressing and we're regressing. And I was just having a conversation, it? and I said, you know what, oh, my gosh, if I could just have a just a, a 1% chance to do something that I didn't get put on this earth to just watch all these people die and watch all these girls just have all these babies because it's like, you know, I walk down the street and I see so, so many girls that, I'm going to do this survey. I'm going to do a survey on teen parenting. I'm, I want to really know in my city how many teenage parents there are. I want to know how many. That would be absolutely I, wonderful. I want to know how many teenage parents were the, you know, the previous generation to the one now because a lot of my friends were teenage parents. So I know there's quite a few. And I want to do something to, to help in that change. I want daughters and mothers to have better relationships. I want to know what was it that stopped you from trying to figure out that there was something wrong. Exactly. You know, and I'm telling you, when I when I wrote this book, this book, like, took me back to things that I thought I forgot about because when you're not indulging it anymore, you tend to become numb. And then when you have to bring it back up, you, you tend to pay attention to what, you, you know, how you're responding to it. When I began writing this book, I had to stop because I just went, crazy one night crying and my husband he started hugging me he said I understand he said just stop for now and go back because I just was like reliving this all over again and I'm like oh my gosh and I said God are you sure he write it 
If you write it, I'm guaranteeing you there are going to be so many women who have not told a soul that are going to come to you, that are going to want to speak to you, that's going to want to read your book. And I did it. Being transparent, not caring anymore, I don't do that anymore, I'm not like that anymore, because all those things that happened to me can't hold me down. That's what I like about what you said. In spite of all all your challenges, you still pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and kept going. Yes, and you know mm-hmm. what? And that, that's what makes you a unique female. You know oh, what I mean? Thank you, thank you. A strong that's black woman, which, which we all need to maybe use what you said as a springboard to help us on our way. You know, because I'm I'm a 64 year old woman suffering, and, and I didn't realize it until like certain things come into my path, and, and then it reared its ugly head again. And I said, "Wow, I thought I was done, or I, thought I had surpassed it, but I have not." You know what I found myself doing? Like even you, all the things that happen to you have a tendency to. You know the baggage, a little string that you throw to God and say, God, here you go, but you keep that little snatch uh, string back. <laughs> and you feel like you want to mm-hmm. one still doing it. Mm-hmm. So I, I finally got to a place in my life and I said, okay, God, no, I can't do this. Because the, the freer I got, the more I smiled. The freer I got, the more my face cleared up. Because all that stuff tends to seep in in the physical part will start taking over the physical sickness the physical illness the the why you behave a certain kind of way when you're around certain people that you don't trust people anymore that you don't want this to happen that you don't want that to happen and when i began just being with my husband he let me vent he let me just get it all out he just a good cry oh my gosh i cried so much to just get it all out because I refuse to be a victim. I'm not a victim. When I go and I, I'm sorry, when I go confront people in my life where I see them that did, I know they did something to me nobody else did, I hold my head up. You didn't get me down. So when I see my flyers around town and I see people go, I saw you, and they'll go, I saw you, I saw your picture. A lady stopped me in the nail place. She said, I saw your thing. Can you come speak that in the game? You know, when I see people mm-hmm. embracing the fact that I'm really trying to do something, and when they heard about my book signing, they know I'm not talking about it, and it happened, that made me feel so good. Of course. You not only spoke on it, you, you, you made it a reality, and you're still completing it. You know, you're still making it a reality. You haven't stopped, and that's what makes it even that much better. Right. And then you can see that it's it's a message to you that now you have a a, a journey and a and a job given to you by God to pass that word on because what happened to you is not just singled on just you it's happening on a lot of people and you're being used as a vessel exactly. to get that out and to have other people learn from you. And then those people who learn from you can pass that on to other people. So it'll continue and continue on like a chain. And once that chain is complete, then so will be the circle. And then we will at that time see what we have to do to to keep it that way. 
it's just going to take some time because there's so many people that are still experiencing this and some people who have not accepted to be linked in that chain. So that's just what's going to happen. Now, I also wanted to touch on some other things about um, parents protecting their children as far as what's going on with all these abductions. And uh, I think sometimes we just get a little lax in our atmosphere when we think we're in a safe environment. And, and those predators that are out there realize that, and that's when they tend to strike the most because our defenses are down and we're not really aware of what's going on. I'm tired of seeing little kids walking around in the mall when their parents are like five or six feet in front of them and not paying attention. It's so easy for somebody to take a little child and and lure a little child into their hands. And, I mean, it can happen anywhere. It's happened in my community. It's happened everywhere. People's homes. A child was just abducted from a home um, during a... Um, home invasion um, in a Mexican family's home um, in California. And I don't know if they knew the people or not, but they tied everybody up and they had them at gunpoint. And they took the little three-year-old that was an adorable little boy, curly hair, looking just like my son when he was that age. And they took that little boy and they threatened to kill the mother when she went to go get her baby and asked him, why are you taking my child? And, you know, they were going to kill the rest of her family. She didn't stop. So now they're out looking for these people, and these people have connections with them, some type of mob in Mexico. So they're thinking that they may have taken the child to Mexico to sell them or something like that. But it's happening all the time. It's not just that one incident, and it doesn't just happen with you know, people who are wealthy, it's happened with poor people, and it's happened, It's I've noticed in the news that it has grown to a certain degree where these predators are just coming right in the middle of the community where people are just standing around, taking children on the way to school. And, you know, some children are being taught to fight, and some of them are fortunate to get away from these dudes, but a lot of them aren't. And there's the growing numbers of abducted children is just ridiculous. Well, let me um, touch on that. You know what I, I know. I'm very protective of my kids. And um, my mother, when we were little, well, we were never allowed to walk behind her. And That's I picked right. up that habit. Like my kids now, even though they're even old, my, I used to have a, um, it was like a little band that went around my arm. And when my first mm-hmm. daughter was little, People was like, she's everywhere with you. She's not, yeah, because she had a little thing that attached to her clothes that was attached to me so that when we walked, she was right next to me when she learned how to walk. And as my other children were born, they were never, like when they got to walk and stuff like that, the ones that were in the stroller were in the stroller. But now even when they're older, I always, like the first rule of thumb is we go outside, I'll go, what's the rule? And the girls go, you better get in front of mommy. So when I walk, I see my kids because one day I was watching someone, and it, because I didn't want to say nothing, I said, "Why in the his baby had to be at least three, two, three years old?" Mama up on the phone on the cell phone, and I could have just walked over and snatched the baby up, covered his mouth, and she would have never known nothing because she too busy and kept what she going doing and mm-hmm. not watching what her kid is doing. My kids are not allowed. I don't care how as long as we walk in the streets where I go, they always are in front of me. By two feet. My kids know. 
you are to be in front of me, and you are to walk together. When you come home from school, I make one stay at the school because your schools are so different from each other. The two that are in the same school walk, pick up the little one, and they all come home together. And when I come outside to watch them, I tell them, why are y'all separated? Why is one behind you? She's the younger one. She shouldn't even be behind you. And I get on them all the time. You are to be together. You have to. You have to be uh, consistent. If you don't, they'll get lax and they'll forget, and that's when it will happen. So you are, uh, that that is beautiful. You know, I applaud you. And that um, particular way of, of being protective of your kids, so many more mothers should take on that type of uh, behavior. And so, and it would be less children abducted. Absolutely. That's true. But, Mhm, but I see it's so it's a it's a commercial that come on almost every day, and it just makes me cry every day. Like it's this little girl gets off of an elevator with this guy. She's like she's about five, and the woman is coming and getting on the elevator, and they got written on his back as they walked away that he's a pedophile. And the little girl turns back looking at the woman with her eyes like she's saying, please help me. And the woman's looking and hesitant and suspect, but she does nothing about it. And you see it, you know, and I see it every, every day, and it drives me crazy. You know, and I, and I you know, that, that makes me even more want to hurry up and get my project off the ground because there's so many kids like that child and many others are out there, and now they got this thing where they lifted the ban that the pedophiles don't have to allow you to know that they live next door to you anymore. They don't have to do that. They just allowed that to happen. They just did I that? I just heard it on the news yesterday, yeah. Lord have mercy. That's what they said. You know how they always have to let you know they're in the neighborhood? Mm -hmm. Not anymore. They lifted it. See, and part of the the travesty with pedophiles is some of them are actually victims themselves. They were molested in their their childhood, and you have a couple of of levels and places that they'll go. Some cases, promiscuity is one of the places that they may ultimately go to. The, the next uh, one of the other places is actually becoming uh, a predator or they go off to some other wild uh, tangent. But a lot of time and a lot of studies that they've done, a lot of them were very seriously molested throughout their entire lives. And they exactly. they didn't seem to get the help and the, the uh, nurturing and what they needed to help break the cycle. And so they go out there and they continue to perpetrate the same thing that happened to them. They shouldn't because have it's, that it's all inside. They're angry and they're bitter and they're hurting right. everybody else for hurting them. You know, and, and it's a sad thing. It's just like you know, I hate to keep bringing up fictitious or things that may and may not be true, but uh, in this this one movie with Sean Penn, where um, him and two other kids were young, and the one kid. His friend got abducted and molested, and then he became an adult. And uh, he saw this guy trying to molest this kid, and he beat him to death. But then the other guy's daughter died. He assumed it was 
this guy because they said he was all messed up in the head, and his, one of his own friends killed him. But he, it wasn't him. The way he handled it, when he was sexually abused like that, he was destroying anybody that tried to hurt somebody, which is better than hurting right. the, the ones that couldn't help themselves. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it could go either way. You don't know which way it's going to go. No, you don't. So the thing to do is, but you got kids out there that their parents are so involved in drugs and their man or the men are involved in alcohol and, and drugs or whatever, and they're not taking care of their children. And the kids are saying, you know, Uncle Joe is doing this to me, you know, and nobody's doing anything about it. Nobody's even listening. There's no listening ears. The kid is constantly being abused, and nobody's helping. Or they, you know, they're too busy sucking up on a crack pipe or selling their kids and things like that. And then those kids have nowhere to go and nobody to help them and no voice. And, and you know, we as a people need to try to come together and help those children because well, they don't have, have a lot anybody. of denial, too. There's a lot of denial. Yeah. You know, I think Joyce Myers well, we, is like an ultimate example of that, where her mother was well aware of what her father was doing to her for 15 years and did nothing. That's the worst kind. That is and the it, worst and, kind. And there's a lot of stories exactly like that, where the mother was well aware of it, and for whatever reason, sometimes it's because of the man, sometimes it's because of the denial, but for whatever reason, the mother will not hear and to me, it goes back to one of the points that, that Nancy was mentioned earlier about the friendship. Now, some people have uh, different trains of thought about a, a mother's having a friendship with their children, thinking that, you know, it, it's going to skew the disciplinary lines, and really it doesn't. If you kind of formulate a friendship, it allows that child to know that they can always come to you. You know, exactly. my, my girls have told their friends for years, and even their friends, they'll call me mom. They're like, your mom is so cool. Y'all can talk to her about anything, and it's true. Whatever exactly. it is, I'd rather you talk about it than try to run in the street and get some information or whatever about it, and it's not going to be the correct information. So I don't care what the subject matter is, you can talk about it. Exactly. And don't misconstrue your intentions when you're allowing them to discuss all matters with you. You know what I mean? Exactly. Because you're really uh, giving them an out to be able to uh, let out some things that they wouldn't have dared said otherwise. Correct. Cause, and I've, I've run into to parents that, oh, I would dare not talk to my child about that. And one of the a couple of stories that I, I tell people because they stuck with me to my heart is I used to, I, I'm originally from New York, and in the mm. summer times I used to go to a summer camp at Sleepaway. And I will never forget a, a scenario where we had a young lady in the camp and all the kids, we stayed in the woods in tents. And she, her cycle mm. came. No one ever, mind you, junior high school. Her parents never mm. told her anything about it. What? This child went into full-blown panic and hysteria. They took her to the nurse's office. The nurse had to sedate her until her parents drove two to three hours to come and get her because she thought she was hemorrhaging and going about to die. Why? Oh her parents God. never talked to her about it because they were too afraid, and they thought she needed to be older. Wow. And she wasn't and when prepared. I, right, and I said, that is absolutely completely insane. At, at the point that you're in junior high school, excuse me, the conversation should have happened. 
My mother literally at five years old, we moved from Brooklyn to Jamaica. <laughs> literally at five years old one day, my mother brings me into the room. She whips out a bio book. She whips out a black book. And I sat there for almost two hours. <laughs> well, you're good because when, when my, my first experience was, um, it was almost like this child and my mother's, uh, the, 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 you know, like it, my mother's very, she was very, very old-fashioned. And they, um, when you first had your, your um, period, they would, they grabbed sheets and tore them up yep. and folded them up and <laughs> gave them to you. That's what I was given. I didn't know. I said, what is this? Gave me a sheet and told me what it was for. And that was the end of that. Wow, and it was funny. So we didn't know. Right. And we didn't even know what a sanitary pad was. I know, that's right. I was sitting here just... And that's terrible. It's terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. I was sitting here... Can you imagine that's even worse? This big hunk of cloth, you know, and and, and then no protection at all. And that's very, you know, and don't give any instruction as to why it's happening. Exactly. By five, I knew Didn't it all. Didn't tell you anything. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> By five, I knew it all. Because the other story that I've, I've told people is I knew a young lady in junior high school. She was very attractive and one of those people that people would basically ignore. And I always tended to gravitate towards whatever the popular crowd didn't want to deal with. I always tended to gravitate towards the outsider. And this poor young exactly. girl. Exactly. The, un- the underdog was always, always my best friend. Oh, yes. exactly. Everybody would be talking about the person so bad, and I'm like, that's exactly the person I want to know. <laughs> exactly. So, this poor young lady was born to, her parents were much, much older, pretty much seniors when they had her. Taught her absolutely nothing. Now, here you have this very attractive girl with the hourglass shape who is completely naive. So before she graduates from junior high school, she has three children. The scary part oh, is after each child, she had no real clue and understanding as to why it even happened in the first place. Wow. Wow. That's mom, scary. Yeah, my mom hid the fact, I think when I was about, um, I was probably about maybe eight or nine, maybe, maybe ten, and I remember asking my mom, like, where did babies come from? I didn't even know. Like, my kids now, like, I don't, when they, my, my first daughter was eight years old. We had the conversation, what sex was, what he looked like, mm-hmm. what you look like, if mm-hmm. he does this. And I remember the day when she came and told me some man had touched her, and I went ballistic. Mm. And I wasn't asking no questions. I didn't care about no cops. If you, what? <laughs> and we went around the corner, and I found him, and I yoked him up, and I was like, just because... Mm. I didn't want to go to jail. I just let him know real quick, and I let him know you, if, if I even think that you're touching my kid. See, because parents don't listen now. Like, if my kid comes up, it's a wrap. My brother mm-hmm. Alden went around the corner and whooped his tail. Hey. I know. I was like, oh, my God. When we told him what happened, we had a posse going around the corner looking for his hand. Well, see, y'all are modern, very modern, because I was told, if a boy kisses you, you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he put, if he French kissed you, boy, we were sitting on a step down the street, and this boy tried to kiss me and stick his tongue in my mouth, and I screamed and ran home. I was, thought I was pregnant. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. 
I was terrified. I said, oh, my God, my mother's going to kill me. I ain't got pregnant. Yes. Mm. That's how stupid I was. Well, no, a lot of people were taught exactly the same thing. You know, yes. and there may have been some benefits because you ran home, but the problem is you still need the understanding of because when I began I didn't know anything still. With my kids, I not only told them about the actions and all the physicality of it all, but I talked about the emotional side. I talked about the exactly. fun things where guys will tell you anything under the sun uh-huh. to get you in that bedroom. They will tell you mm-hmm. they love you forever. They will tell you they will marry you. They will tell you they will never touch, look, or anybody. They will tell you every lie known to man. And after they get what they want, they're going to move on to the next one and tell mm-hmm. them the same thing. So when when you're talking about the fun subject, you have to include the emotions involved with the male-female relationship. And see, that's what I'm talking about, spirit. Listen, see, in my book, you think Mm -hmm. it's love, and it's not. It's not. Because no one told you that love was a hug. No one said that love was crying. No one said that people equate sex with love. And Mm -hmm. that's where a lot of the girls get jacked up. And and I try myself talking to a lot of the young girls that I used to go to church with, and I was saying, I'm telling you, it's not love. You're already on an emotional roller coaster because he probably said, I love you, I'm going to marry you. And then when the kids came, by the time you were nine months pregnant, he was already gone. Exactly. And they don't understand. It's not just the physical act. It's the emotion. And for me, it was. I'm very emotional. So for me, I went on, he said he loved me. I went on, he said he was going to be there. I went on, he said he was never going to leave me, he was going to take care of the baby. And then by the time I had the baby... We sitting in court, and he told me, "That ain't my baby." And I'm mm-hmm. exactly, friend. but he was going. He was going when he you was announced that you were pregnant. But what happened was, when I had my daughter, I found out there was another baby already in the picture. Mm. Yeah, telling her the same thing. But, Lord have mercy. But like I said, when when he announced when you announced that you were pregnant, he was already mm-hmm. gone in his mind. Two or three, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And how old were you? How old were you when that happened? I was fourteen. Lord Jesus. Wow. Because they they don't have the emotional attachment, and that's one of the things that when I talk to young women, we have the emotional attachment. Theirs is a physical. Absolutely. Exactly. And that's it. It ends right there. Yeah. Most of them are all messed up and stuff. They've moved on to the third woman by by that time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But see, the young, these girls, I mean, the kids are so divided. There's no two parent families, hardly going on for them to know, you know, that um, you can be loved without laying on your back. Exactly. You know, love could be listening. Be you know, love could be understanding. Love love is comes in many forms. It doesn't just have to be a hug or a kiss or laying on your back or whatever. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It comes in many, many flavors, so to speak. And that's what we have to teach these young women because they don't know. And they can't teach it to their children. Mm-hmm. And they need to and understand the, the, the importance of the friendship. If he really, really cares about you, he's not going to be driving you crazy about trying to get in between your legs. I know if exactly. he wants to be a true friend, he's going to be a friend. He's going to stick by you. Like they said, ride or die. You know, he's going to stick by you, come thin or thin. He's not going to sit around chasing you all over town and putting a whole kind of pressure on you to do anything. He's exactly. just going to be there as a friend. Correct. Exactly. And a lot if of girls don't, don't know that. Forget it. They think the minute well, they give it up, I, that they have them. And no, you don't have them. 
And that's even with the best guys sometimes. If you don't have them, don't think you have well, them. Well, most of these young... <laughs> Most of these young girls and young boys have having such low self-esteem. That's what they think love is. You know, they 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 abuse themselves sexually and so on and so forth because they do have such low self-esteem and they figure that's the only way they're going to get recognition or love. Mm-hmm. So they sub- subject themselves to that kind of abuse. Right, and the ultimate travesty, especially with the younger girls of today, where they have it confused about what love really is, when the other girl or they find out about the other girl around the corner, around the block, across the street, <laughs> they want to fight him. <laughs> fight him for what? By the time y'all finish fighting, he got the other two chicks down the other side of the block. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. And, and actually he gets the kick out of the fact that you're fighting over him, but nonetheless exactly. he's still down the block. They need to oh, fight yeah. him. I know that's right. See, I I, I was. He don't want me to knock upside the head, not the girls. That's right, and they don't understand it because there's so many girls that I've seen getting there's so many fights about. That's my man. No, he's he's my baby daddy. No, he's your baby daddy. He's not even trying to be your husband. <laughs> Go and tell it, tell it. <laughs> oh my God! He ain't nobody. He's tired. everybody's man. That's what yeah. they need to realize. He ain't your man. He's everybody's man. Because if he was yours, he wouldn't be with Mary Jane or Sue. That's right. And that's what they don't understand, and that's sad. And you know they what don't. the thing about it is? Is I watch a lot of the um the Maury's and how the moms oh. that oh, they get God. on there and they defend their son. He's too young. He wasn't too young when he was doing it. Exactly. He was not too young. He's 15 and he's a father. He was not too young when he was down there doing what adults are supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Have these the ladies ever looked at those those TV shows that Maury Povich? They break stuff on this because by the time you get to the a, ninth guy and you don't know who it is, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. There was a woman on eleven times and didn't know who the father of her daughter was or son. And on national television, that is a disgrace. That tells you a lot about where these young women's thoughts are. How do you be tested 11 times and still can't find the, the father of one child? What is that saying about that person? Exactly. And she don't know that, love at all. It can, track, it can track itself back to the mom. Where was mom? What did mom teach you or not teach you? What happened? Where's the breakdown? And it's not even just Where up is to the mom. Exactly. Because the dads need to talk, too. What happened right. to being daddy's little girl? The dads need to talk, too. These men need to stop appropriating and, and, and stop being sperm donors around here until they're able to become men. Because it's enough. These children don't need any more. You know, it's too much already. you got too many kids out here without fathers, and then they eventually become without a mother, and they don't have anybody. And enough is enough. They need to stop. They need to stay and neuter all of them. Absolutely. And the, and I guess I'm sounding bitter right now, but they, they need to because it's just ridiculous. Too it many babies having babies. It's too many babies having babies. That's what it is. That's what's going on. And it's tragic. And, and you know, and then what really started, I think, the ball rolling and, and this downhill syndrome is we lost... 
the village mentality. Yes. yes. That's what happened. It got oh, severed, yes. and everything went haywire. As long as we had that village mentality, we had so much support. And now we don't have any of that. Wow. We need it back. Yes, ma'am, we, we do. We need it back. Cause it used, you, and you, we all know what that village mentality was. Because if, if Miss Jane saw you do something, Miss Jane yes. was all up in your face. And if Miss Jane, yes. Jane had the authority from your parents, she's going to whoop your tail. And when your mom and your daddy and came on, they're going to whoop your tail. <laughs> Again. You and you respected them. That, that you respected the elders. They're not even waiting until they're teenagers to cuss you out. I was listening to these little kids, and I'm saying, I couldn't even say nothing. My mouth just was open. This little boy had to be at least six, and he was like, MF and this and MF and that. And I'm like, what the I'm like, ooh. I'm like, come I know these little, I said, I was, I couldn't even say nothing. We're in trouble. I heard someone shut up, old man, before I punch you in your mouth. Yeah, these kids are true. Stuff like that, elders, come on. And the thing about it is they can stand behind their word, because you don't know what's in your pocket. Right, no. right. And, and they'll do people. it. Yeah, they'll do it. They have no, re- they lost respect for the elders. The elders were the teachers. And they should have been uh, held high in respect because those are the people that help you get to wherever you're going to go. Because, you know, if they're still living this long, they must have knowledge of something. They have something to offer, you know what I mean? Right. But well, listen, I, I want to take a I want to take a little short break because we only have about 14 minutes left in the show, and I really oh, wanted Lord. to put this song this song in there before we go because um, I thought it meant a lot coming from a man's point of view of how he loves his daughter. Um, mm-hmm. Lenny Kravitz was a changed man when he had his daughter um, Zoe with Lisa Bonet, and it shows in this song that he he created for her called Little Girl's Eyes. So I want you all to listen to this and pay attention to the words, and then we'll come back and close our show out with just a couple more thoughts. Okay.
All right, that was Lenny Kravitz. That song goes on and on and on. But I just wanted to finish up just thanking everybody for coming and discussing everything with us today. And, um, you know, it is important that we look out for one another as mothers and daughters. And it's also important to make the world aware that we all need to be able to bring this to a close, you know, the the abuse and everything else that's going on. And I appreciate Nancy coming in and sharing her experiences and my mom coming in and sharing hers. And um, we can all do this again at another time But because um, this could be a long story. I know, that's right. <laughs> Your mom talks much. Yeah. Well, no, no, that's not it. Um, Right, and blog talk is not good when it comes to keep letting us stay on long. So if you hear me get cut off, we'll just, you know, we'll catch it on another, another show, because uh, they, they're giving me some trouble here. So I can think that I'm going to get cut off, <laughs> but I just wanted to say that before we go. So anybody wants to talk about something before we leave in our last couple minutes, Nancy? Well, I'd like to say I totally appreciate you putting this t- together and all the beautiful conversation that's come from it because I know God is working. I, just I agree. I appreciate the show. I appreciate talking to people. I appreciate your mom because I know that you and her are going to have a nice conversation later on. And even though you're older, mom, don't hold back anything from your kids. Mm-hmm. Get yourself free. Let it go. Let it out. Forgive and move on. I thank you, ladies. You're welcome. Because... It- you know, I'm older, but I've been inspired. I've learned a lot today from you young ladies, too. Oh, thank you. Believe oh, me, you. I have. And you're never too old to learn, and I've Amen. learned a lot today. That is Trust correct. me, I have. And, you know, and you've helped me uh, gain some more strength to, to continue or to start doing what I intend to do. Oh, thank and you. And I appreciate it. You are so and I'm very, very proud of my young daughter here oh, you for putting together what she's put together. Huh? She is a, she's a true blessing. Yes, she is. And it's I appreciate her. so many her, ideas. You know. <laughs> Tell me so about it. So many ideas. <laughs> we can have a conversation oh, within the span of 15 minutes. She's then scattered off about 20 of them. So <laughs> it's a beautiful thing. <laughs> yeah. My brain for you. That's my brain. <laughs> and I'd like to say happy mothers to all the moms out there listening. I really do. And we, we were so blessed by your presence today. Thank you. I thank you. And I and I uh, would like to say happy Mother's Day to all you guys and all the mothers out there. And God bless you all. Thank and you. I enjoyed our conversation and meeting. Oh, thank you. You are so welcome. And well, let us know when your book is coming out. I wish everyone, everyone else. else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wish I everybody, everybody else the same. You know, uh, 